listening to Treasure of the Month, opening up the treasures of Lichfield Cathedral for all who'd like to learn a little bit more about this treasure of a place with me, Gregory Platten, the Canon Chancellor. Michael, it's really good to uh, be with you again to do another Treasure of the Month. This is our third, so it's still a bit of a, a novel thing for us, but I know from the stats that people are beginning to enjoy it and they're getting some feedback. So thank you for, for joining us here again today. Today we're looking at the Epstein bust or the Epstein sculpture. I'm not quite sure how you call it properly, really, um, but it's the Epstein sculpture or bust of uh, Bishop Woods. Can you tell us, uh, for those who might not have heard of Jacob Epstein, a little bit uh, about him, because he does have a considerable reputation. Yes, well, he was um, he was actually American by birth. Um, he was born in 1880 in the United States and he came over to Europe in 1902, studied a bit in, uh, in France, in Paris in particular, um, and came over to the UK in, I think, 1904 or 5. Uh, studied a bit more, he exhibited at the Royal Academy. Um, and by about... Um, 1910, 1913, was, was doing some uh, fairly controversial things around uh, London mainly, um, really beginning to reflect the um, turbulence that was also evident in, uh, in the, on the continent with the development of post-impressionism and then cubism and all the rest of it. Um, all this looking for new ways of making art um, and his, uh, his most uh, dramatic um, controversial piece um, was in 1913 um, uh, when he did um, uh, a thing called the Rock Drill, which was a, a, a really peculiar futuristic, it looked like something out of Star Wars, the figure on the top of it, mounted on a real um, rock drill from uh, quarry type work. Um, and the whole thing stood, um, I don't know, three, four, five meters high. Epstein, in fact, destroyed it himself, um, but it was reproduced in uh, 1974, and the reproduction actually is in Birmingham Museum and Art Gallery, uh, just down the road from here. Uh, it's not shown very often because it's so big and it takes such a lot of assembling um, that they don't get it out very often. So that was rebuilt. What, do we know why he destroyed it or not? No, we don't particularly. I think just he thought it was, uh, one has to presume, he just thought it was unsatisfactory in some way. Um, and didn't really want it to be seen as the um, uh, the kind of thing that was central to his to his work practice. Um, but he um, curiously he 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 went on to do um, a certain amount of portrait sculpture, such as the one we've we've got here to talk about today. Um, but also quite a lot of controversial things around the city public sculpture of um, figures with no clothes on. He became, he became very um, uh, famous for, for making things that were seen as inappropriate in their situation. Um, so he got a bit of a reputation for, for, as a troublemaker, if you like. Um, it's a bit odd, isn't it, in a way, that we've ended up with this? Yeah, well, it's interesting. It's interesting. The, the, there's this a letter in the archives at the Tate Gallery um, which mentions this um, th this piece, um, but before he mentions this piece, he is he's, this is a letter to his daughter, by the way. Um, 
and he said he was saying how busy he was. Um, and he says, um, I have survived the bad period when only Moore and company were thought to be sculptures worth looking at. I was ignored and neglected. And he's writing, he's writing that in 1957. Um, and it's curious that um, the three sculptures he mentioned that he was working on at the time were the, um, the Christ in Majesty at Landaff Cathedral in Cardiff, um, the St. Michael and, and Killing Satan at Coventry Cathedral, and Bishop Wood's portraits in Litchfield. It was doing three ecclesiastical works um, at, the, at the time. Um, and he, he goes on to say in his letter that um, he, he remarks on this fact that he's doing three ecclesiastical works. Um, he said, uh, presumably because of the, um, uh, the Madonna and Child I did in London. And I think he must be referring there to a piece he did in 1950 um, for, a, for a nunnery in, in, in London. So he suddenly becomes involved in, in he, because of that, he gets involved in, and gets commissions for doing ecclesiastical work, if you like. Now that is interesting because Epstein was in fact Jewish. Um, and, and there was, um, there was, there was a, a very interesting little discussion um, when, uh, to do with the, um, the Land of Cathedral piece, um, where he, he was, he, he sat back um, in the cathedral at some point during the um, the installation, not the installation, the piece, the rededication of the cathedral, um, and found himself sitting next to a young curate who had only just been appointed to the cathedral there. And the cathedral said, the, the curate said, um, do you find it difficult as, as a Jewish person making images like this? And his answer to that was, all my life I have searched for truth and beauty. And in the end, I discovered that it is in the idea of the Christ that they are to be found. And, that, that, and I thought that was a really interesting comment. But towards the end of his life, we're talking 1957 here, and he died in 1959. Um, so it's, um, you know, it, it, it's a very interesting uh, summation of his, his life, if you like. And it's comforting to feel that at the end of his life, he did suddenly get a lot of work. He, he suddenly discovered he, he wasn't to be ignored and neglected by everybody. Um, he, he did have a little onrush of commissions um, in the last decade of his, of his career, and that the church was largely responsible for that. No, that's, that is fascinating. I didn't know that at all. And I, I knew he was sort of, uh, in terms of faith was agnostic, but that actually is much stronger than just being an agnostic. One of the yeah. questions I've got, you, you, you said, I think the other two sculptures were, uh, were both, were they both of Christ? One is the, the, the Christ in majesty and the, no, the Coventry one is um, uh, St. Michael um, killing Satan. Which is the, is that, is that the, um, uh, what do you call it? Is that the um, dedication of the cathedral? Is the dedication yeah, yes. In fact, yes. The cathedral is is, is dedicated to Saint Michael. Yes. Mm. So you've got Saint Michael. You've got Christ. <laughs> so I guess I'm asking you the question: Why Bishop Woods? It seems a. Well, uh, yes. <laughs> Bishop Woods, of course, had died in 1953, 
Um, and the other thing that comes out of this letter in the Tate Gallery archives is that it was paid for by all the bishops in England, headed by the Queen. Wow. Now, I don't, I don't know what we make of that, but um, that's what he says in his letter in his very own handwriting when he's, when he's actually making the piece. That would never happen now. Um, so there was some kind of movement when he died. Um, somebody went round the, uh, the, the ecclesiastical establishment and said, come on, guys, we've got to, uh, we've got to mark this chap. He was an excellent fellow. Well, it's funny you say that, because the only other thing I've really found out about him was, uh, and it may be tittle-tattle and gossip, was that he was on very good terms with the royal family. And I've heard from two sources, one of whom's in our congregation, that he was very good friends with uh, the late Queen Mother, who had come here regularly. But on online, it also says that all the members of the royal family had, had visited the, uh, the Bishop's Palace, because I think he was the final bishop to live in, in the Bishop's Palace before it was given over to be a school property. Um, so that would be interesting, the Queen and the Bishop. So the other thing that uh, I read somewhere, and I think it was um, his great granddaughter who said it, was that he had been involved in the uh, the 28 prayer book um, development, which, of course, was all a bit sad and um, not, not, a, not a great moment for the Church of England, really. But that, that is interesting. So And that was all from the letter, was it? Yes. Well, maybe from what you say, maybe it was the Queen Mother that cracked the whip around the bishops and got them all to... Um to do the right thing. Yes, I'm not, not sure that would work nowadays either, really. <laughs> um, that's, that's a different podcast. Um, in terms of the sculpture itself, Michael, how does it make you feel? I mean, how do you, how do you react to it when you see it? Well, I think the first thing about it is, is, is just how much it has been worked up. You can, you can look at it and say, well, every square inch of it has got something happening. Um, it, it's, it's, it's very often the case with uh, portrait busts like this that a lot of attention goes into the making the face look like the, the sitter, if you like, a, a realistic face, um, and very little to the uh, to the rest of the figure. We could never say that about this piece. Um, it, it, something is happening everywhere. It, it's extremely even the bishop's coat has got um, has, has got action happening. There's a sort of atmosphere flickering over the thing. In, in all directions. Um, the hands are exaggerated in, in size and they're brought together in prayer. Um, so, uh, so they make a, a, a very sort of ecclesiastical focus, if you like, to the, to the piece, which again is unusual in, in the standard um, portrait bust. Um, but it's the face that is particularly um, impressive. The, uh, it, he's looking down slightly in prayer um, so you have to get up quite close to to re really see the the, um, the thing, and, and that's why in the podcast we've included a photograph, a detail, if you like, a close up of the face, um, because you have, you do have to get close to to look at this, and um, it's a very impressive face. And, and no, it is. It's very. You can see that even if there's even if there's not that much we know about Bishop Woods, you can tell from that face that he was a considerable person. It's a great sensitive individual, um, and that uh, and and that Epstein understood that, and uh, and made a real effort with it. No, it has got real presence, isn't it? It has got a real presence. 
Oh yeah, for my money, this is this is this is one of the best portrait sculptures that um, Epstein ever did. It's a really impressive piece, in my view, and sh should be much better known than it than it is. I agree. I agree entirely. And I think what I, I like about it, as you just said, is it's got both action, but it's also got quite a lot of detail. And that face is very detailed, oh, yeah. actually, without being yeah. um, sort of too uh, ultra realist. It's, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's um, sculpture is fascinating in that sense, isn't it? Because, you know, are, are we dealing with with Epstein or are we dealing with Woods? Who, who Who's, you know, what's the personality that's coming out strongest? Well, it's a sort of equal thing. I mean, you can... You could, you, you would say treasure of the month, so you're going for great works of art, if you like. So you'd think, well, you're going to, we're focusing here on Epstein. We're very lucky to have such a famous sculptor mm. represented in the cathedral's collections. But uh, when you look at this piece properly, you do you do wonder. Well, hang on, who is the great man here? Is it Epstein or is it Bishop Woods, or maybe just conceivably it's both of them? You know? Yeah. No, I agree. Maybe this is a happy coincidence of two great men coming together in the same, in the same work of art. I like that, Mike, because it also suggests, uh, and as you said yourself, in terms of the dynamism, but also the detail and, and the beauty of it, that I guess to do that, Epstein must have had some sense of the man himself. And actually, so it is, in a way, it's a, it's a sort of relationship in bronze, isn't it? Yes, you wonder how, how he did have that relationship, whether he knew him before he died. Um, which on the face of it, I would have thought was unlikely. Um, I mean, if he was just commissioned to do a portrait of somebody who had died, um, he'd have been given a few photographs, perhaps, but um, you wouldn't have thought he'd have come up with this kind of presence, if the understanding of the presence of the sitter. No, it's... it's... You, you, you have to assume that... You, you Normally, you'd think that uh, to do a portrait of, of that... Quality, you'd have to know the sitter. Because this was a memorial sculpture, if you like, um, it, it wouldn't have been a question of the bishop sitting for him, you know? It's an interesting pose, because as you were talking about, I'm thinking, was he standing in procession? Was he in his stall? Was it evensong? Is he at prayer? It's um, because you can't tell, of course, whether he's standing or sitting. Or, or kneeling even. I guess I want to end, Michael, just with a... A slightly more controversial note, I suppose, because um, one of the things you're helping us with is is looking at our collections in general, but also looking at how we deal with some of the issues that have come up in the public conversation around Black Lives Matter, um, particularly around what happened with um, Edward Colston's statue in Bristol. And I guess I want to ask you um, why you think statues of all art forms seem to have become the focus of that sort of important public discussion? Well, it's, uh, it is a tricky one, isn't it? Because we're used to living with these um, monuments all over our cities, if you like. We're constantly walking past or driving past um, figures standing on plinths. Um, and we, you know, we don't give them much of a glance, really, most of the time. Uh, it just happens I was brought up in Bristol um, and Colston's name appears all over the place in the city. Um, there's a, it's not just this sculpture, there's a, there's a concert hall nearby. There's a school, there's a, gram, a Colston Grammar School in uh, Bristol. I don't know if it's still called that. But um, the fact is that um, the, the problem of Colston and slavery was known in Bristol, not in my time, back in the 1950s, dare I say, um, 
But uh, in recent years, uh, there's been quite a lot of discussion about the Colston statue and memorialising a slave trader generally in the city. Um, and the authorities took no notice and did nothing. So it suddenly became an issue um, when a group of local people took it into their own hands to pull it down off its plinth. That gave it the, mm. uh, the, 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 the public profile, if you like, uh, to become a, an issue at a, at a national level. At the same time, of course, we had a similar issue going on with the Oriel College in Oxford and Cecil Rhodes, the, the Cecil Rhodes sculpture there. Now, Cecil was so, so high up that they couldn't pull him down. They couldn't get to him, if you like. He's still there, as far as I know. But there's a, a similar issue going on there. Um, between them, these, these two pieces have, um, have achieved a profile which has meant that people are now looking much more widely across the country as a whole at this whole issue of um, mm. uh, the, 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 the less savoury parts of the country's heritage in slavery and colonialism generally. It's very difficult, though, and I... I guess I want to put the both arguments as fairly as possible, so we, we don't end up going down a rabbit hole. But I, I guess there's those uh, there are those people that say you can't judge history on the morality of the present, but there are also those that actually say you know memorialising, uh, as we call it, contested heritage, is in itself a perpetuate a perpetuation of that that poor heritage or bad heritage. And I think there are huge questions around education and and philosophy that 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 raises. Uh, I'm interested that the Orthodox Church refuse in their churches to have anything that isn't two-dimensional. Um, so they don't have statues of any sort. They only have uh, two-dimensional icons of, of saints or of Christ. So that's one solution. <laughs> but, um, but they can still be controversial. They're, they're still images, aren't they? They are. And actually, you know... There's no, no reason why they shouldn't be controversial as well. And I, I was having a discussion recently with a, a friend of mine and he was pointing out that he was um, he's of black heritage and he was raised with the children's Bible that has a picture of Jesus with blonde hair and blue eyes, which is you don't really think about it if you come from that background, I guess. But um, very difficult. But going back to the Epstein, uh, we've got some really good photos actually on the website of it. And I think I would say to anyone, you know, come and stand, uh, stand in the presence of it. As you said, it, it's, it's very powerful and it's very dynamic, isn't it? Thank you so much, Michael. Um, we'll be talking again. Michael has written these treasures of the month, many of them for us, and we're really grateful to him and the work he's done uh, on uh, a lot of our collections. And one of the things we should say, and hopefully this will be soon, hopefully our collections will be more accessible online so that you'll be able to access them via our website in picture form and learn a little bit more about them uh, from our actual archive itself. So thank you for that, Michael, and thank you for your time today. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure.